The following message is from New Latch Let series, Energy Source. This week, Pastor Mike presents part two of this series. Well, good morning. Yeah, it is a good one. You know, we were not um, in this room last week together. Well, there were like five of you because the rest of you, your houses were under snow. Can you believe that was a week ago? Now it's spring. I don't know. We live in Gillette, trying to figure that out. But because we were not here together, we did not get to fully celebrate Easter. You know, Easter was two weeks ago now. And in our Easter services, we had 35 people make first-time commitments to follow Christ. Yes. And uh, we're celebrating that. We talked about this wall, this light wall up here. And that makes 97 lights. I'm not sure if they've got all the lights lit up yet, but 97 lights up on the light wall of people who have made commitments since um, Christmas Eve this year. And we are just celebrating that. We're, I mean, first of all, yesterday, Yafe got a pick six. And uh, it was an awesome, awesome moment. And the crowd goes crazy and everybody's cheering. And uh that compared to your golf clap on the 97 people who got saved is a little pathetic. But, um, but we're celebrating. We are excited that so many people have given their lives uh, to God this year. And so we're, we're continuing that momentum. And if you are one of those 97 people whose light is up on the wall, can I just say that your journey has just begun? And so we're in a series right now about the book of Colossians, and this book was actually written to people who had just given their lives to God, who had just been saved from their sins, and they were trying to figure out, how do I do this Christian thing? And the Apostle Paul writes them a letter and says, hey, here is some advice that I want to give you, new believers, about how to live your lives as a Christian. And so this book is actually the perfect follow-up to the decision that you have recently made. And if you want to just journey through this book with us, uh, I think it would be a great place for you to start. So like I said, this book of Colossians that we're talking about in this series was written by the Apostle Paul, not Pastor Paul. He is old, but not that old, um, I think. And uh, am I on? It's dim. It'll come. It's coming. And so the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, he was writing from prison, and um, he, he is in pretty severe circumstances, but he's celebrating it all the way through. He's like, listen, they keep chaining these, these jail guards to me, and I just preach to them, and then they chain, chain another one to me, and then I preach to them. He's like, it's awesome. They keep they think I'm the captive. They're the captive. And he's celebrating it all the way through it and preaching all the way through all this hardship. And so the guy who actually started the church of Colossians, the church in Colossae, is a guy named Epaphras. And so Epaphras, when he recognized that this new church was beginning to experience some some problems, he actually traveled to where Paul was imprisoned and he asked Paul his advice on how to handle this. You see, there were a bunch of false teachers coming into the church and they were trying to convince Christians of two things. Number one, that there were many gods, that, that God was just one of them. Jesus was just one God. There's actually a bunch of other gods. You need to worship all these other gods. The other false teachers were teaching that they needed, these Christians needed to be circumcised, that they needed to follow all the Jewish religious um, uh, 
ceremonies and all the laws that the Jews had adopted over time. And they were trying to Judaize or, or make Jewish all these Christians, these new believers. And so Epaphras was asking Paul for some advice. What do I do about all this? So a lot of what we read in the book of Colossians is his advice to these people in those circumstances. So we've called the series Energy Source. We're kind of using the words energy and power interchangeably in this series. And no, it's not a debate about solar and wind versus coal and gas or anything like that. We're talking about as Christians, what do we get our strength from? Where do we get our power from, our energy from? And I know um, many of us have experienced times in our journey, our faith journey, that we've kind of felt weak, you know? I want to follow God, but I just, I don't, I don't feel it. I need some strength in trying to follow God, especially when temptation hits, when, when outside sources criticize and all those things happen. So we ask ourselves in those times, where does our power come from? And last week, Pastor Chris said, well, the obvious answer is the Sunday school answer. What's that? Jesus, yes, our power comes from Jesus. But we're kind of going deeper than that. It doesn't just, we don't, we're not just saying Jesus and moving on. We're saying, how does Jesus give us power? Because we don't think, it's not just some one-time event, Jesus gives us power and we move on. There are all amazing ways that the book of Colossians leads us through that God empowers us, that gives us God gives us strength. And so we're going to go through a little bit of the book, just a little bit of the first chapter of Colossians today. And we're going to see all the different ways that just here in these few verses um, that God gives us power, gives us strength. So the first one is right here in chapter one, verse six. This same God, this same good news or gospel, it may say gospel in your translation just means good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. God's wonderful grace. Those of you who made a commitment to follow God this just recently. You've, you've had an encounter with God's wonderful grace, and that is the good news. And the good news is changing lives, Paul says, changing lives for the better. And we just can, that's like measurably true. Jesus changes lives for the better, and it has just been doing it relentlessly ever since he was here. Nothing can stop it. No government, no laws, no sins, not even the powers of hell can stop the gospel from changing lives. So one source of our power comes from that good news. Our world loves bad news. Our world loves anger. You just turn on the 24-7 news media and you recognize that that this is what they thrive on. Oh, they'll stick something on at the end of a show, some little piece of good news just to say that we report the good stuff too, but no, they focus. Their, their, their lives are consumed by the bad news. And I, I believe with all my heart that that is a short-term strategy. The failure of CNN Plus proves that. It, it's not going to last. It may sell a... a few commercials in the short term, but it's not going to last. People don't give their lives to bad news. People give their lives to good news, to something better, to a better potential. 
When you give your life to God, you're giving yourself to good news. And that good news will give you courage and strength to persevere in hard times. Then he continues, you, he's talking to the Colossian church, learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Who does the church love? The church loves each other. This is, this is what we were gathered to do, to love each other, to sacrifice for each other, to give to each other. The church supports each other. And that gives us strength. Our support for one another, our helping of one another gives us strength. Yet, yet another tool that God has given us to persevere. So where does our power come from? It comes from our love, our love for each other and God's love for us. When a dad risks his life for his kid, why is he doing it? Because he loves him. When Ukraine is beating Russia, just totally overpowered, and you're thinking, how in the world are they doing this? It's because of love for their country. It's because of love for the ideal that is causing them to fight harder and more relentlessly than the other side. It was not fighting out of love. Fighting out of obligation. When Jesus died on the cross for us, what gave him the courage to die for us? It is love that gives us strength. It is love that helps us to press on. Have you ever heard the story of a guy named Horace Grizzly? Horace Grizzly was a British POW uh, during World War II. He was famous for standing up to the, to the prison guards and to other people in his time of serving. Well, while he was a POW, while he was in one of these prison camps, he met a, he was in Poland, and he met a German interpreter. And this German interpreter, her name was Rosa, was actually secretly a Jew, but nobody knew it. She was hiding her Jewish heritage. And she finally tells uh, this prisoner of war, and, and they start having these conversations, and they fall in love. Well, Horace and Rosa, their love kindled, but over time, he actually discovered that he could escape. He found a way to escape from this prison camp. And so one night, he did just that. He escaped from this camp. And you would assume that Horace, finally out of this prison camp, would just run away, run home, get out of there, right? Unless you know the rest of the story. Unless you know that the love of his life is an interpreter in this prison camp. And so Horace, instead of sneaking away or running home, used the same method that he used to escape the camp to get back into the camp, to go see Rosa. And night after night after night, he would sneak in and sneak out and sneak in and sneak out over 200 times. He snuck in and out of this prison camp. Why? Because he was driven by love. It motivated him. It gave him strength. It helped him to go into a tough situation, into a life-threatening situation. Well, Christians, where does our love come from? This verse, Paul tells us that it's actually a gift. That our love is not, is not an emotion we feel. Our love is actually a gift, Paul says, from the Holy Spirit. 
He goes on. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. God himself gives us the strength to do the actions of love. Because love of ourselves comes naturally. Selfishness comes naturally. But love for people who have nothing to offer for us does not come naturally. That can only come supernaturally. Sacrificial love, agape love, only comes supernaturally. So ask God for the gift of love of people, of people who have nothing to offer to you. And that brings us to prayer. Asking God for what you cannot get on your own. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Paul's, Paul's constantly in prayer. If it's true that he prayed for as many people as he told that he was praying for them, he's praying all the time. And the strength of the Colossians church wasn't an accident. It was a result of the faithful prayer of Paul and others. Where does our power come from? Our power comes from this incredible tool we've been given called prayer. And what did they pray about? Pray about. Paul says this, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge of his will. We get a tremendous amount of confidence knowing that we are in God's will. Doesn't that give you confidence? When you know that the God who created everything, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who created you for a purpose, on purpose, that you're in his will. If you're in his will, if you, then you got guaranteed success. That gives me courage. That gives me strength. Guaranteed success, I'm in. What, what can hold me back? He's like, even if you die, you still win. Where does our power come from? It comes from being in God's will, knowing that you are in God's will. It gives us strength because we know that God's way works. It makes us better at life. It's why churchgoers are statistically healthier. Why churchgoers are statistically happier. Why they are more effective in almost every area. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. How does our lives produce good fruit? Well, it's by doing the things that are in God's will. We know we're in God's will because we're doing his will. And that doing produces fruit. I'm going to guess uh, we got some teenagers in the room, probably some kids who have heard of Minecraft or played Minecraft. Let's be honest, most of the parents in the room have probably become pretty familiar with Minecraft. My son got Minecraft for Christmas and it has changed our lives, uh, or his life. I don't play ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, good game. Uh, Minecraft is this. It is the most simple, basic game on the surface. It's mine craft. You mine materials and then you craft things out of them. You're building. This game is all about building. And you build and you keep building. You realize, oh, wow, we can really build some really cool things. And, and some people have played this game uh, way too many hours and they've become master 
builders. There are people who have built incredibly amazing things that have taken them years and years to build pixel after pixel, little block after little block, building machines, automation, all kinds of amazing things. They start the game by punching some trees and some dirt and some stones, and they build incredible things over the years. And I'm watching this game from the outside, and I'm watching my son build some things. The other day I walked in, I'm like, how, do, how can you do that? I've played this game. I can't do anything like what you just did. And then I realized something. He's a cheater. Because here's, here's the reality of what I've discovered. There is an alternative mode, another way of playing this game called creative mode. Does anybody know this? Anybody admit that you know this game well enough to know this? We got a hand down in the front row. There's a game, there's a mode in this game where you have unlimited materials, you will never die, you can even fly. Like, you're Superman now, all of a sudden. I'm punching rocks and trying to build stuff, and he's flying through the air with unlimited materials building stuff. I'm like, that's not fair. That's cheating. So the other day, my son, uh, Lincoln, we're talking, and he goes, I know God says I can't just do whatever I want, but I can do whatever I want in Minecraft when I'm in creative mode. <laughs> creative mode is killing my son starts to make us think that we can get whatever we want whenever we want to get it. I can get a trophy without actually winning. I can get an income without actually working. And it's harmful, isn't it? To think that just things just can be given to us. But this isn't really about Minecraft, is it? It's a much bigger conversation than just Minecraft. In Christian circles, we call this libertinism. For Christians, that's the idea that freedom in Christ means that I can do anything I want to do with no consequences. I've got grace. I can just live it up. Jesus has forgiven me, right? We'll jump to the book of Romans where Paul actually addresses this very thing. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? The goal of salvation isn't just to give you a new life in heaven someday. It does do that. And that's a beautiful promise of salvation. But it does more than that. It also gives us a new life on this earth. It, it forgives us for the past. It makes us better in the present. And it promises us better in the future. New life, past, present, and future. It reminds me of the hymn, Rock of Ages. Grew up singing this one in church. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Cleft for me, like a cleft in a rock. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure Save from wrath and make me pure. Double cure. It's healing two things. It's a double gift. God's gift of grace is a double cure, a double gift. It saves us from wrath, from hell, and it makes us pure. It makes us good. It makes us right. 
It motivates us to goodness, to generosity, to love. It's, it's twofold, double cure. Come and become. Follow me and I will make you. Two steps. It's justification and sanctification. It's follow me and I will make you. It ends one life and it births something much better, something much greater. And that life itself is a stronger, more powerful life. The new you is a better you. When you were recreated, you were created a better version, a healthier version, a stronger version. Back to Colossians, he says, all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. You will grow. You'll continue. This process will continue to happen. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. We're, we're pray, Paul's still praying for his strength, still praying for that glorious power so that we have endurance, so that we have patience, so we, so we can persevere. Let's take a little bit deeper dive. The Greek word that is translated power in this verse is the word kratos. Another way of translating the word kratos is dominion. So you will have power or you will have dominion is what Paul is talking about. What does it mean? So you will have victory. So that you will overcome, not just survive. Not just make it through. That's the power we want. Not just crippled walking. Total healing. Better than before. This is why it helps to know that we're in God's will. That we're on his team. We are fighting on the side that has already won. We can persevere because we know we win in the end. We are on the winning team. We have strength because we know that he is on our side and he is victorious. Where does our power come from? It comes from God's dominion. Who are you putting your confidence in? At this time, there were Judaizers trying to convince the Christians that that they needed to get circumcised so that they could fulfill the commands. They're still trying to work their way into heaven. They're saying, don't put your confidence in Jesus. Put your confidence in yourself. Put your confidence in your own ability to do good enough, to be good enough, to do the right things. And Paul's like, no, that's not who we are anymore. We're not just doing good so that we can get something. Paul's like, it's a whole new game. In fact, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight, years, when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, he's bragging a little bit, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. My parents followed all the Jewish laws, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born with the right blood. I followed all the right rules. I was on a, in a scholarship in Gamaliel's school. I had all the best training, super prestigious Pharisee. I had it all. I was a me member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He's saying, my circumcision beats your circumcision. 
I put all my confidence in myself. Yet time and time again, it fell short. I trusted the teachings of other people and I, and I, I trusted in the goodness of other people to offer the right sacrifices, to do the right things. And time after time, it just fell short. It couldn't work. I couldn't be good enough. They couldn't be good enough. And he continues. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. It's nothing compared to Jesus' goodness. My goodness can't compare to his. When I put my faith in myself and I put my faith in other people, it only led to a bunch of dissatisfaction and failure. I kept trying to earn my way to be good enough, but I just couldn't get there. The good news tells me that I don't have to. It's not my job anymore. Jesus did that all. He accomplished it all. It is all up to him. And now I live in his glory. Now I live in his will. And that gives me joy, Paul says. Continuing on in Colossians, he says, may you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in his inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We are filled with joy that comes from knowing that we have been rescued. And we couldn't save ourselves, that we have been saved and he did the saving. Jesus purchased our freedom and he forgave our sins. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We are children of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who holds all things in his hands, the one who created it all with a spoken word. You are his child. And that should give you joy. Where does our power come from? It comes from that joy. This is just Colossians 1. There are so many ways that God strengthens us. So many ways that God enables us to persevere and conquer, to have dominion. So how do we get our energy? Well, we're diversified. We're not relying on one method. We're not relying on one tool. God's provided many sources of energy. So let's tap into them all. Don't just settle for what you know, what you knew when you first started. I grew up in a church, literally. Like, my family literally lived in a church building. There all the time, dad was a pastor, and we had a Christian school, and, and just did all, all the church stuff. And so, naturally, the people I grew up around were a lot of Christians. All my friends were Christians, at least their parents were, and so they had to do the Christian stuff. And so grew up with all these people. And because of Facebook, I'm able to keep tabs on most of them. And I've realized a majority of them are no longer Christians. A majority of them are no longer, not just not serving God, but no longer going to church or no evidence of God's work in their life whatsoever. 
I've had a couple opportunities to talk to a few of them and ask them why. And they all have different answers. Anything from, I went to college and my professors convinced me it's all a fairy tale to something bad happened in my life and it caused me to doubt God to, to, to I just didn't have time for it. All kinds of different reasons that people give for why they no longer are serving the Lord. And I, I realized something as I was talking to these people that they were still relying on the childhood God that they were told about when they were kids. They're still relying on what they knew about God, the dumbed down version of God that they learned in Sunday school. And they have not grasped the fullness of what God has for us. They just kind of stopped. They stopped pursuing him. They stopped learning. They stopped growing. God's love and truth are deeper than childhood faith can tell us. Because when we have childlike faith, it's great. When we are children, then we have faith in what we cannot see in a way that we can't when we get older. But as we get older, if we learn, as if we mature, if we grow and understand the fullness of what he has to offer us, then our understanding can help compensate for the lack of childlike faith. Because when we were young, Sunday school teachers taught us a dumbed down version of truth. And maybe that's a good thing because we were young and we couldn't understand it all. I get that. I understand. But I also think that maybe earlier in life, it's time to take a deeper dive. I, the more I raise my kids, the more I realize they can understand more than we give them credit for. They can understand a lot. I think it's time in teaching our kids that we go deeper, faster. Because so many people tune us out before they get to the deep stuff. They go away to junior high and they hear things they've never heard before and they see things they've never seen before and their friends think this and it's not popular. And it's just at, at that time, the, the, the doubts begin to creep in. My friends who left the church because they were relying on a simple version of Christianity, a simple version of what God has for us. I believe that if we will listen, God reveals more and more of himself to us as we grow. And that revelation gives us strength to persevere. Don't just settle with, my strength comes from Jesus. How does he strengthen you? What does he do in your life? What is he creating in your life to build that perseverance, to build that strength? How is he molding you and shaping you, growing you, teaching you? If you're still relying on a version of Christianity that you learned when you were young, well, I'm glad that you have that. I'm glad that you, that you learned something when you were young about God. But you're missing on so much strength that comes from knowing all that God has done for you. Knowing all the goodness that his instructions have for you. So if you're new to the faith, my invitation is dive deep. Go all in. Devour this stuff. Figure out everything that you can do and you can learn and you can, all the ways that you can serve and love and give. And let him prove to you.
that his way is right. And when you are in his will, he will give you strength. God, I thank you for how you do what we cannot, that your Holy Spirit produces in us what we cannot produce in ourselves. God, I pray that that you would give us the courage and the strength to pursue you with all of our hearts, to give you all of ourselves. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.